Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Vision is More Than 2020. Later in the episode, I will be joined by Dr. Zelnicki, and we are going to be discussing a topic that is very near and dear to our hearts, the special needs population. I myself have a brother-in-law who has a learning disability, and Dr. Zelnicki, even before optometry school, had the great experience of working in a vision therapy office as a therapist that primarily saw the special needs population. So we are very excited to bring this topic to you. Before we delve into the episode, let's talk about my weekly insight. So today, I have a TV recommendation for you. I know, we always harp on decreasing that screen time, but let's be honest, in quarantine, who hasn't enjoyed a Netflix binge? So I want to tell you about a docuseries that Paul and I discovered recently and really, really fell in love with. It's called Love on the Spectrum. This docu-series follows people on a whole range of the spectrum as they either enter the dating world or it does follow a few couples that have successfully found life partners and follows their love journey. The whole docu-series really is extremely, extremely heartwarming. I have to be honest, I did tear up at a couple moments, which honestly is hard for me to do. One of my unexpected takeaways from watching this docu-series was the advantage of almost not having a filter, right? A lot of people on the spectrum lack a filter, have difficulty reading social cues, which can be a huge disadvantage in the dating world. However, that lack of filter really made them essentially be more honest, especially on their first dates. One of the kids on the show on his very first date said to his date, hey, do you like video games? She said no. And he said, okay, the date's over. Um, which really at the end of the day, if you think about it, is a very effective way to date. Finding out right off the bat if you're compatible with someone. Do you have common interests? And I think that this was a huge advantage for a lot of the people on the show because it really helps them tease out if someone is going to be a good life partner for them. And I think we could all learn a lesson from that. A lot of people in the dating world tend to put their best foot forward on dates and then slowly over time reveal who they truly are. So I think that honesty was a really refreshing lesson that I gleaned from this docuseries. So again, it is called Love on the Spectrum. You can find it on Netflix and enjoy watching. So now we're going to delve a little bit into the special needs population. This is a population that Dr. Z and I really enjoy giving care to, and we just want to give a little bit of insight into what common visual diagnosis are more prevalent in the special needs population, how we can really glean a lot from our exams seeing this population, and things that we can do just to help enhance the visual function of those with special needs. So let's talk a little bit about the visual diagnoses that can be more prevalent in the special needs population? I think the first and foremost the one that we need to talk about is that there is a higher prevalence for refractive errors. So if your child, you know, we are a proponent for getting early eye exams for every child, but even more so if your child has special needs, because although it doesn't matter if it's 
they need glasses for far or for near or astigmatism. It's just a really good idea to get your child an eye exam to make sure that they are in the appropriate corrective lenses if they need to be because they already have so many other challenges. We don't want to add not being able to see clearly to those challenges. Absolutely. I was even reading something recently that said in some special needs populations, the higher prevalence of high refractive errors could actually be like the faulty development of emetropization, which essentially what that means is the eye, as it's developing in a child, it essentially wants to grow to have no prescription. So most babies are born typically being a little bit farsighted, and then over time that prescription goes down and they become to the level of having no prescription, but that process can be a little bit delayed in children that have special needs and could be an explanation of why they're more prone to having a refractive error. Yeah, so definitely tip number one is get a regular eye exam just to see if they have a refractive error that needs to be corrected for. The second common visual issue that we find in the special needs population is strabismus or an eye turn, whether the eye turns in or turns out. Some special needs uh, diagnoses have higher prevalences, such as cerebral palsy, because of the etiology of that diagnosis with the muscles. So if you see an eye turn in your child, whether, like I said, whether it be in or out, if it is intermittent or all the time, you definitely want to bring the child in for the eye exam so that we can determine what sort of things we can implement to treat the child with the eye turn. Right, and sometimes a normal course for management of an eye turn are things like surgery or patching, and these things may not necessarily be indicated in those with special needs. If you think about someone that has, you know, sensory difficulties or they're very sensitive to tactile sensations, wearing a patch is probably not going to be an ideal management. Um, Also, in those who maybe have very reduced cognitive function, putting them through something like a surgery may also not make sense. But if you see any eye turn at all, it makes sense to have your child evaluated. They may be seeing double and may not be able to convey that to you. And there are things that we can do to manage eye turns when they need to be. Yeah, and I think the third most common visual issue with special needs children is the visual perceptual piece, the tracking and scanning. Everything within the visual system is really developmental. Everything sort of builds on one another, and if there are any interruptions to normal development, those visual skills sometimes get delayed. Now, the great thing about visual skills is that they can be taught and relearned and get up to where they need to be. So we always encourage a lot of uh, not only getting for that eye exam to understand the child, but doing... uh, a course of potentially vision therapy depending on the patient and depending on if they're able to do vision therapy, but we might even just talk to the parents about things that they could do at home to help with those skills to develop in a way that uh, the child can observe their visual environment and feel safe in their visual environment. So when we're talking about our exam, one of the biggest pieces of what we're doing during our evaluation is actually our case history. So that means asking lots and lots of questions. So we're going to want to know everything from pregnancy to birth, those developmental milestones, 
like Dr. Z said, everything is very closely tied together during development. So if there are delays in motor skills, they're like they're going to be delays in your visual skills. We also are going to want to know about any other specialties your child is seeing. So if they're seeing an occupational therapist or a speech therapist, those are things that we are going to want to know about just to really get an overall big picture of how a child is functioning and how and, and what interventions are being put into place. And on that note with the evaluation, right, we do start with that case history and that can be pretty extensive. So Dr. L and I really try to do that case history prior to our patients coming into the exam because with any child, we only usually have a very short period of time that they are paying attention to us and we can get good information. We don't want to waste that time just talking to the parents or trying to get a little bit from the kid. We encourage our parents to talk to us before and do a phone conversation before the evaluation so that we can really delve into that case history and really get a good understanding of where the child is, how they're functioning, and what their needs are before we even begin the evaluation because it gives us a really great framework to work through in our evaluation. It really does help us streamline our exam. So with those kids where maybe you only have one to two minutes of their attention and you really need to get as much information as you can, it helps us tremendously to already have an idea of what's going on and what tests are going to be the most important for us to glean the most information. And on that note, the everyone thinks of uh, a typical eye exam that we have to check their acuity first and give them the paddle. But you, if for the parents listening, the, our exam for our special needs populations look very different. We're really looking for getting the most objective readings and understanding how the child is seeing in any way that we can. So we don't even need the child to speak to us. Uh, so if your child is nonverbal, that does not mean that they can't get an eye exam. That just means you have to find an eye doctor that is open and willing to see your child that and understands the needs of a nonverbal child and how to assess them. So rest assured, we are looking to do this exam as quickly as possible and getting as much information in a short period of time. And I know both Dr. L and I go into these exams with, if we get two, three pieces of information, we're doing great. And if we have to bring them back, that's totally okay. It, we're really trying to foster a really great relationship with the child to really understand what they need to be successful visually. And that just doesn't happen in 15 minutes. Uh, and we, we understand that. And we really aim for our evaluations to, like I said, just get the most information from the child as possible so that we can help them. And then in terms of our management of these patients, we really have a lot of tools in our belt that we can try to utilize to enhance whatever visual function that we see from our examination. Uh, a lot of times, we as optometrists kind of hold some answers for these parents of special needs patients that are kind of always searching and seeking out different avenues to make sure they're providing their kid with all of the care that they can. And a lot of times there's things that we can do. So the first step always, like we've said in previous episodes, is correcting for that refractive error if we think it needs to be. Uh, in some children with special needs, there may be some refractive error there, but depending on their visual demands, they might not really need glasses or tolerate wearing glasses. 
Um, another thing to consider is we don't always prescribe full prescriptions for these patients. You know, we may say to the parents out there, this is what I'm finding as the glasses prescription, but I don't know that your child can tolerate wearing all of that. We're going to start with a partial prescription and see how they tolerate it. And then that may then mean down the road we're going to slowly increase the prescription or make frequent changes to the prescriptions. But this is not set in stone. We're going to start with this and, and see how your child tolerates it and follow up with them. On that note of glasses, uh, we may even consider doing some prism in the glasses, and we might consider something called yoked prism, which some doctors do and some do not. But yoked prism can alter space. It's very different than compensatory prism for an eye turn. What we can do with yoked prism is if a child is very aware of their visual environment and they get overwhelmed easily, we can prescribe a, a lens that helps to bring them in a little bit so that they feel more safe in their environment. And alternatively, if a child is really just tends to be right there in front of them and not observant of anything else, we can also use some prism to open up their visual world and get them to be more observant about what is happening. So we have a lot of tips and tricks and tools that we can do with uh, this population to really allow them to function well in their their visual world without feeling overwhelmed by it. Right, and I think that's a, a good thing that you brought up, that observing piece. Um, that really helps guide not only our exam, but our treatment options. With this population, really the best thing that you can do when you're seeing these patients is just observe the patient by simply observing their eye movements. How they are fixating on things can give you so much information into how they are assessing their visual world and functioning within it. And then on the flip side, a lot of these management options that we've touched upon, it's really simple trial and error, essentially. Just really you know, trying glasses or trying the yoke prism that Dr. Z was talking about and really just watching the child and see if there are any behavioral modifications or visual changes observed. And if there are positive ones, then let's go down this avenue and let's try this for a period of time. And if there are just negative side effects, then let's scratch that and try something else. So there's really no just right management path or order to try things in. A lot of it is simple observation. So for our physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists that are listening, we encourage you to observe the child in totality. Sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this too, sometimes I get bogged down and I'm just looking at the visual aspect and I'm just looking at their eyes. But we really need to look at the child in totality. So because these specialties do get to work with uh, the special needs population so early on in early intervention, they're usually the ones that can be the ones that make the recommendation to the parents to get their eyes, the child's eyes examined. So things that we want for you guys to look for in, in the children that you're treating is definitely number one, if the child is squinting at all or rubbing their eyes. That's usually indicative that something visual is going on. Definitely. That's a huge one. That might mean things are blurry, their vision is uncomfortable, and they don't have a way to convey that. Our second tip is to really look at head position and posture. Very often kids who have head tilts or head turns have something visual going on as well. What they may be doing is trying to change the alignment of their eyes if there is any eye turn there and it's helping them gather visual information in a more efficient way. 
but if there's an underlying cause for it, there's things we can do to intervene. So make sure you look out for that. Yeah, and even uh, if they are toe walking or rocking kind of back and forth, that also may be indicative of them trying to, that they can't gauge space properly. And they're really trying to figure out a way to uh, understand their visual world. We really believe that the if you see abnormal behavior, that really is the answer, right? We just have to figure out the question of why are they doing it? And because the child is just trying to function. So those behaviors that you're seeing, there's a reason for it. And we have to figure out why they're doing it. Uh, so if you see any of these things in your patients as you're working with them, you might want to recommend that they go see an eye doctor to rule out any visual impediment that may be impacting how they're functioning. Each one of our patients that we see, we treat them no differently. I was telling Dr. L the other day that uh, the doctor that I started my whole vision therapy process with, Dr. Melvin Kaplan, had this great term, and he used to always say, labels are for cans, not for kids. And it really mm -hmm. hit home. I mean, because it doesn't much matter what your diagnosis is. We really just want to observe what their level of visual function is and if we can improve that. Our goal for every single one of our patients is to just have them be able to do the things that they want to do and and visually. And vision is sometimes the 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 golden ticket to being able to function in in a world and those the children with special needs they they sometimes can't communicate that of what they need and what they want to do so by us being able to visually assess them and get them to see clearly and see single and gather and process all of that visual information that's coming in at rapid speed, it really gives them a, a one leg up so that they, they have one less thing holding them back. So we hope that you learned a little bit more about how we are able to examine and manage the special needs population during this episode today. If any of you out there, you know, want to seek more advice or want to bring your kids in, we are here for you at Twin Forks Optometry. So give us a call, visit our website, uh, reach out to us on our social media, and we can answer any questions you have. Thanks for listening. Follow us at Twin Forks Optometry on Facebook and Instagram. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.